This is Reverend Chuck Blair. Welcome to our weekly podcast on New Church Live. Great to have all you here today. So, the, so the, what we're doing today is, is kind of a fun service. If we look at what, the, what we're going to be doing, this is part of a series, Five Things God Wants for Your Family. We looked at courage, we joy, looked at joy, we looked at belonging. Today, ready to say it all together, we are looking at play. play. Now, play is such a wonderful topic. You know, and when we were first putting this series together, we put this stuff together months ahead of time, and we chat, and we talk, and we meet, and we chat, and we talk, and we meet. And, and I thought, like, play? How's a pastor supposed to talk about play? Do people really care about play? And the fact is, they do. Lots of people are really interested in this topic. That The input from a bunch of people was really priceless. And what I'm going to ask you to do, I'm going to ask you to think of play almost as a spiritual discipline. And sometimes we manage it, sometimes we don't. Could I tell you a story from yesterday? All right, simple story. This was the Michigan State reference that I made. So, so I, like the one thing I'm obsessive about, well, there's a few things, but the one thing I'll tell you that I'm obsessive about is, is watching college football. I don't know why, but for some reason I do watch it. And usually I don't watch any games until they're over and I know that Penn State has won. Yesterday I broke that rule and decided to watch the Penn State game. So, so I watched the Penn State game. Well, and they're playing Michigan State. You can guess what happened. Who won? Michigan State. And thank you to our online crew who watches us from Michigan, who texted me while I was backstage, just to remind me of that. And, and uh, yes, yes, yes. And, you know, I, I come out, I come out from watching this losing game, and, and there's my whole family and my new grandson, and they're just hanging out in the living room. Can we say ouch? Ouch. Like, like, ah. And I'm preaching on play today. You know, and instead, I had kind of gone into my own little world and had missed this opportunity. Now, as one friend reminded me, well, you were all breathing the same air, so you're good, Chuck. Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's not about sort of beating myself up about it. It's just understanding that there was an opportunity. And can I do it a little bit better today? That's it. I don't have to do it perfectly. It's progress, not perfection. But can I just be aware of play and just get a little bit more aware of it moving forward in my life? So I want to actually come out in the audience and to get you folks warmed up. I love playing. And I want you to, to fill in the sentence there. And we're just going to get like about 10 people. Just one sentence. I love playing, blah, blah, blah. So for me, I love playing by stacking rocks in streams and making dams. Brings me right back to being 12, and it is good to be 12 some days. All right? So please just raise your hand. One sentence. I love playing by... Bum, bum, bum. Here's... I love playing with my grandkids. I love playing practical jokes on my mother-in-law. <laughs> we'll have to talk. I love playing by trying to imitate whatever physical feats my kids are working on. Oh, that is really good. I am not nearly flexed. That even hurts to think about. What's another one, folks? I love playing by taking my grandson fishing. <laughs> <laughs> 
by taking my grandson. That is so good. There was a lot of fishing that went on with some families this week. I love playing with my dogs. Ah, and they are beautiful dogs. They're beautiful dogs. Any? I love playing by sitting by the fire making s'mores. Ah, yes, fireplace stuff is good. I love playing by walking with a friend. Walking with a friend. That's good. Those ideas of walking with Miriam Sinisfet is a good thing. What are some other? Lillian, do you know you won $1,000 yesterday? She won, it, she, won a, she won a raffle for $1,000 yesterday. Is that? I love when congregants win $1,000 raffles. Just saying. I love playing croquet in the yard with my wife. <laughs> Yeah, this is like this is like croquet heaven. And don't think of it like a recreational sport at their household. Just so you know, it's one step shy of full contact. So he took mine. He I love playing croquet with my family <laughs> and friends. Excellent. Good thing you two found each other because I think you're the two people in the world who love playing croquet together. All right, please give everyone a big round of applause. So that's the idea of play, folks. And, and I think we can look at life and we can look at it very playfully in terms of, of how we can go about doing things. And I, I love this definition. This is from Brene Brown. Play is joyous time spent together without purpose. Like it's just not a purpose. Like when you're going on that walk, right? You, you're not trying to get somewhere or do something or playing with the dog or, or playing croquet. You're just trying to be. Isn't that interesting, right? So playing and being come really closely together. Think about that. Playing and being come really closely together. Now, I think it's always important to remember that, that we will forever, forever imitate the God we believe in. So if we believe that God is big and angry, what are the odds of us playing, high or low? Low. But what I hope to leave you with today is a sense that God actually is extremely playful. We see that in the Bible all the time. Like, like I loved this line as a kid, and it was, the trees of the field will clap their hands. And as a kid, there was a song where the trees of the field will clap their hands, and it'd be like, and I think that was so cool. You know, I remember looking for that, for clapping my hands as part of that song. The idea of a playful God. Not a God where the music is a funeral dirge, but a God that is playful, full of play. We can see that. Just look at creation. If you don't believe God is playful, look at a picture of a baboon. <laughs> this, by the way, this baboon, you know the story behind this? So this baboon grabbed a, a camera and started taking pictures of, of itself. So that's a baboon selfie. Like, isn't that fun? That's highly playful, highly, highly playful. And here's the part, folks. Do you think there's a little bit of play in heaven, yes or no? Yes, yes, yes. Look at this great quote from New Church. Everything angels see, please say the last four words to me, everything, not some things, everything, angels see seems to laugh play and live. I mean, I, I think back, what if we had founded a church based on that? Think about it. 
Everything we see, we should, we should laugh and, and play and, and live. And it, it doesn't mean that life doesn't have hard moments. Of course it does. Of course it has incredibly hard moments. I mean, it's, it's a joke that I found really funny. I don't know whether you, I remember when I was a public school teacher and a student who was really struggling and a, and a buddy of mine, he was just trying to make light of it. And he said, Chuck, you know, oh, she's really struggling. She has more problems than a math book. And, and I thought that was good. It was just this, this little bit, this little bit of lightness, you know, in it all. Even in those hard moments, can we just find the lightness there? Now, there clearly, folks, are going to be challenges to play. Like, I think we want to live like this. Isn't that a great picture? Now, there's no way any of us, I could be the guy standing in the goal. There's no way I could do that thing on the left. But these are a couple of kids in Thailand playing soccer. And, and I don't want you looking at that thinking, wow, I don't like soccer. I, I get that. My dad, I, I played soccer in junior college. My dad came off, and we're a big football family. So, and he said, Chuck, um, he was trying to figure out something nice to say. He said, oh, soccer uh, must be a fun sport to play. So, so you look at this, folks, and I want you to see the playfulness in that picture. You know, the way the play is going, just, just can we do that? And the answer is, yeah, we can actually live like that. But we have to understand what gets in the way. I think technology gets in the way. I'm just going to say it. I'm so sorry for saying it because I know some people are going to like text me something mean. But I, I, I don't believe technology, like no one ever gets off their phone and just like, that was a conversation that brought me to tears. Like it just doesn't happen. It does not happen. A number of reasons. Here's a couple of cartoons. Do you mind if I strap your phone to my forehead so I can pretend you're looking at me when I talk? Isn't that good? Text that to your kids today. And this next one, I love this one from the New Yorker. She's texting me, but I think she's also subtexting me. Like right when those three little periods show up as they're typing, you're like, oh no, what is it? So technology can get into the way, but so can self-consciousness. It's interesting, folks, right, that term is there's some phrases in the English language, I think, that are, are really critical. One is the idea of like, oh, man, I struggle with just being too self-conscious. There's huge wisdom packed into that. That kid who's doing the crazy bicycle ninja kick soccer ball thing, you can't do that if you're self-conscious. You can't do that if you're so aware of, of yourself and how you're presented to other people that it bollockses you up, that it, that it confines you and constricts you. I think for most of us, and I hope I'm speaking for most of us here, isn't it a joy when we feel like we're not self-conscious? Or that old thing like where we're dancing like nobody's watching. Where we're dancing like nobody's watching. That dancing like nobody's watching. I want to show you a video here. And it shows you, I think, don't see it as like a family. See it as the parts of us, that part that wants to dance, and that part that is extremely embarrassed by dancing, extremely embarrassed by play, too self-conscious, and another part, very playful, where that's the very thing, play, 
that it wants. Take a look at this video of this mother, father, and son at a baseball game. Does that ring a little bell for some of you folks, or what? And if we think of that self-conscious part, that ego part, it, it, it just is too stuck to be able to really play. But there's a part of us that does. As the band comes out, as the band comes out here for our next song, I want you to think about, yeah, what's that part of you that gets kind of tied up? And what's that part of you that actually kind of can see its way to play? Can feel its way to play? That, that, that wants that actual release? See, play and being. Play and being. Pretty amazing. Pretty amazing that those two come together so love that idea of, of happiness and, and, you know, the people being this special relationship to each other. And so much of that can be that, that very place of play, the place where play really, really starts to become sort of like the air we breathe, playfulness. So important. And, and, and I mean it really seriously. Like, like, what if, imagine we had a church based on the ideas of seeing everything, laughing, playing, living. Like those three things, laugh, play, live, laugh, play, live. What would that be like? And, and I don't view that lightly. Like it's, it's not about discounting the world. It's not about the hard work. It's not about rolling up our sleeves. It's not about not taking care of the poor. It's, it's not about any of those things. It's about a spirit within all those things. About a spirit. The air we breathe that's part of all those things. Because fear can get the better of us. Could I get a little amen on that? You know, fear can get the better of us. It certainly gets the better of me a lot. And yet, can we find that playfulness that moves us right out of it? Now, the Bible is, is filled with, with beautiful, beautiful, playful messages again and again. And I'm going to read one to you here. This is from the Old Testament. This is from Jeremiah 31. And this is in the midst of a really dark time. Really, really, I mean, like as bad as you could get. And this is what the prophet Jeremiah talked about several thousand years ago. I'm going to read it, and then I want to put some things up on the screen and talk about it. At that time, declares the Lord, I will be the God of all my people. This is what the Lord says. They will find favor in the desert. I will come to give rest to Israel. The Lord appeared to us in the past saying, I've loved you. Listen to this. I've loved you with an everlasting love. I've drawn you with loving kindness. I will build you up again and you will be rebuilt. O Israel, again you will take up tambourines. 
And let's take a look at how this, how this beautiful passage closes by taking a look at it up here. I've loved you with an everlasting love. I've drawn you. Now I'm going to look at that word drawn there for a second. I've drawn you with unfailing kindness. And that word draw, it's beautiful when you look at the language. Like the Hebrew there is to draw water. Isn't that beautiful? Like that idea of, of God drawing us out as, as, as he would lovingly draw water out of the ground, as any of us would lovingly draw water. And at that time, again, that water was what was life-giving. So the idea of a well, the idea of buckets, the idea of pulling these things out of, of water being drawn was, was essentially life-giving. It was about thriving. And then the passage goes on. I will build you up again, and you will be rebuilt. Again, you will take up your timbrels, your tambourines, and go out to the dance of those that play. Is that stinking beautiful or what? It's so good. And, you know, you look at all the different translations. Some of them talk about joy. This translation I love. Go out to the dance of those that play. Do we all know people who do that? Yeah, I know people who do that. Somehow they just have a, a certain playfulness about them. And that's, again, I think part of the God we are to imitate. If we believe in that, then we've got to try as best we can to live into that. Now, what do you guys think? Do you think Jesus had a little sense of humor too, yes or no? Absolutely did. Absolutely did. One of the biggest changes for me, and I know we have a lot of first-time people, so people have been here a while, well, you've heard this before, but, but I think it's a very different experience to read the Bible, to read what Jesus did, and to read it with him smiling. It's very different. I, I think when I was younger, I really read it all with a frown. Like, God was sort of the cop. Not the way I see it necessarily anymore. I see him doing this with a smile. And more and more for me, that's come to realizing that the only people in my life I'm really interested in following are people with a sense of humor. People who can actually be playful in life. Knowing again, life is hard. And still, through all of that, they bring a certain playfulness with them that can matter so much. Now, one of my favorite stories on that is a simple one. It comes from Matthew. Jesus told them, here he's talking to his 12 disciples, another parable, in other words, another poem, another story. And he's trying to talk about the kingdom of heaven. So what is heaven like, is essentially what he's saying. What is this kingdom of heaven? And, and, and Jesus is always trying to get it down to earth, as in heaven, so upon the earth. It's always this downward movement. So, we have to, so he's trying to get people to think about it here and now. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed which a man took and planted in his field. Though it is the smallest of all seeds, yet it, when it grows, it is the largest of garden plants. It becomes a tree so that the birds come and perch in its branches. Now, this line here, like we can read that. And how many of us have heard the mustard seed sermon more than once? You know, many of us have heard it many times. And it was fascinating. You know, I heard this sermon again. I grew up in church. Not every, many of you in here didn't, but, but I did. And so I heard this probably a good dozen times. And then I was listening to a, to a beautiful pastor down in Philadelphia by the name of Shane Claiborne. And he was talking about the real meaning of this. And I double-checked it. And it's like, wow, that totally changes how you see that. Now, what does that mean? Well, it means this. And I kind of knew this growing up. So, first off, it says, the smallest of all seeds, mustard, da-da-da-da-da, birds come and perch in its branches, big tree. Well, there's, there's a number of things that are important about this. When you look in the Talmud, the Talmud is, is sort of this ancient Jewish commentary where they talked about a lot of the rules around life. 
Ready for this? Mustard was considered an invasive weed. It was considered an invasive weed. You, you were to literally, you can look up in the Talmud, you were to not plant it near certain things. One of the ones that was funny that I found in the Talmud was you couldn't plant it near beehives because it would make the honey test taste like mustard. Kind of a weird little historic anomaly. Also, mustard, folks, this is what it looks like when it grows. Take a look at this next picture. Is that a tree? Is that a beautiful tree? Is that a place birds can make a nest? No. You see, even there, you, you, see, you see, Jesus is talking about that, and it's, and it's with a lightness and a beauty and a playfulness that I find so fun. You imagine his agrarian audience, they would have chuckled at this in the same way that you laughed at the picture of the baboon. They would have seen the humor in this right away. That idea that, that faith, the smallest of little things, that can actually become this invasive weed, this small little thing, and slowly start to take over our lives. And here's Jesus with a smile going, be careful, because it will. Be careful what you wish for. Because it actually can take over your life. Actually will take over your life. And maybe one of the markers of that is laugh, play, and live. Laugh, play, and live. Now one way to think of this, folks, and, and this is one I would take a picture of. This is a really specific. Can I give you a specific take home to do at home? Please say yes. Here's a specific take home for you. If you have a camera, I take a picture of this. This I, I took from Brene Brown again when she was talking about play. So you think just your normal Venn diagram, right? So you think about play. If you think, and you could label these any number of ways. Maybe one is you, one's your partner, and if you have kids, your kids. Maybe it's your three best friends. Maybe it's your three cousins who you like hanging out with. You, you get this Venn diagram. And then in each one, you put down the specific place, things you like playing. Like, for example, for me, I, I really like, because I, I grew up in the sticks, like I, I really like making little dams in creeks. That's a completely solo activity until I teach my grandson how to do it in a few years. You know, but that's a solo activity, so that's just me. So that would be in like that, that green. But then there's activities that we love sharing with another person. The croquet one, right? So the croquet one, a couple, two different colors, but what they like sharing together is croquet. So that might go into the brown. And then you try to figure out as well, what are those things where we all like playing? I mean, just imagine that conversation where you sit down with your family, and here I am talking really clearly. Please listen carefully. Biological or non-biological. Not all of us have biological families. So biological or non-biological. And you fill this out to see the way life could work, the way play could become part of who you are and how you work out there into the world. I think that could be really powerful. Because when we learn to play, I, I think that there's, there's a different part. Like, if, if I can put that part of my ego aside, that, that real deep self-consciousness, and I can learn to play into the moment, some beautiful things can happen. Now I want to step over here and share one, share one in particular for me. 
that meant a whole lot to me as a young man. So I was, I was blessed with a grandfather, and no joke, his name was Charlie Brown. Really was. And, and my grandfather was a brilliant man. Never graduated from college, but ended up, uh, uh, was, ended up going into farming and then ended up putting a nursing home on the farm, one of the weirdest combinations, I think, in the world, but that was totally normal for me. Taught himself how to do that. Again, no, no college degree at all. Very, very successful at what he did. And, and he, was, he was an amazing, amazing, amazing human being. And, and I think he taught me a lesson about play and how we're supposed to play one with another, how this Venn diagram can start to go together in really powerful ways. So he taught me how to play chess. So I am not the sharpest tool in the shed. I realize I am the best looking, but I am not the sharpest tool in the shed. Like it takes me a while to get things. You have to say things about three times and tell Angela and then I'll get it. And, and, my grandfather was, was teaching me how to play chess. And I'd go over, he showed me how to open, he showed me how to do this, showed me how to do that. And I can still to this day, I said, I can still to this day do his opening. Like, he used to teach me this when I was like, I didn't have any clue what I was doing. But I can still do those moves that he said, this is what you do. Beautiful man. Beautiful man. And I can remember going over to his house and he had the chessboard set up. And we're playing chess. And again, I'm all of 10, 11, 12. Like, I'm young. And my grandpa says, he leans back in his chair. He goes, oh, you won. And I'm looking at the board going like. And he's like, yeah, just these two moves. And I left thinking, dang, I'm smart. Play. Was he worried about winning, folks? No. His love for me surpassed his love of winning. His love for playing chess with his grandson surpassed any ego need that he had to show his brilliance that was so obvious to all those who knew and loved him. That's the way I think it speaks of play from new church. I think that's the way it speaks of play in heaven. It's a very different kind of play than what we might think of. But it literally gets to the point where the self-consciousness is parked enough so we understand what true winning looks like. True winning that looks like picking up the eight-year-old and letting them dunk the basketball and saying, that's the winning shot. Or being able to let a grandson win in the game of chase. That's what play can be. And what's fascinating for me as I step back over here is, is looking at some of the language around that. In this denomination, we talk about the idea of recreation. You know that actually we look at our theology and says, yeah, recreation is real important. Recreation. Break the word apart. I want you to hear it. From this half on over, I want you to say re. You guys say creation. All right, let's see if we can get this on the first time. Are you ready? All right, ready? Over here. Re. Creation. Do you see it? 
It's not recreation. It's recreation. And we just need to work at doing it just a little bit better every day. Giving those lessons, giving those connections, giving that playfulness, understanding the Venn diagram where it all comes together as best we can in our families. Maybe, maybe, that's a living prayer. Maybe that's a living prayer. Maybe that's a precious spiritual discipline. Maybe that's the way we're supposed to live. So the takeaway for this service, very simple. Go to the next slide. We'll flip right to the next one. Very simple. Life moves fast. Could I get an amen? Amen. Life moves fast. Challenges abound. Never enough money, time, or attention. So again, if you're waiting for enough money, time, or attention to actually play, you're going to be waiting a long time. So we have a hard time saying, please say the S word with great gusto. So we have a hard time saying, stop. So I'm asking you, so say stop. And simply close the word with me here, folks. And simply learn to play. Simply learn to play. Is that a good week takeaway or what? So I expect to see you all having fun this week. Thank you for listening. You can support this podcast at www.newchurchlive.tv. 